This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Susanna Gross, and you're listening to Sorry, Partner. Hello and welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with English champion Susanna Gross about civilians and marrying out, her determination to keep fighting even when things aren't going her way at the table, and the importance of knowing when to go in for the kill. Plus, she shares her top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. Hi, partner. How are you, Catherine? Jocelyn, I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. What's been going on? Oh, you know, fairly low-key week, though something did come up that I was going to discuss with you. When was the last time? a convention came up that you had not heard of. And I'm not talking about a convention where it's like, oh, yeah, I've vaguely heard of it, but I just don't play it. I mean, actually a convention that you <laughs> hadn't heard of before because guess what? This happened to me this week. Let me just jump to the, the punchline. <laughs> I can't wait. Have you heard of the Montreal Relay? Um, it rings a bell, but I could not begin to tell you what the heck. There are so many goddamn relays relays versus transfers. Tell me, tell me all about this Montreal relay. Uh, Well, you know, I will not be telling you all about it because I did not do a deep dive into the Montreal relay. I did a very surface skim of the Montreal relay. Partner opens a club, you respond a diamond and it denies a five card major, but it doesn't promise four diamonds. That's as far as I've got. And that's as far as I intend to go for the time. But I was just honestly surprised. I'd, I'd never heard of it. 
just yeah, gobsmacking to me. I, you know, I can imagine all these people out there listening thinking, oh, I can tell you all things you've never heard of. I know people. I know there's a lot of stuff I don't know a lot. But just really to hear about a convention, had not heard of it at all ever. I was surprised. You can tell. Yes. Has this ever happened to you? <laughs> oh, all the time. I'm always hearing about things that I don't know. But another funny thing is to hear about something that you haven't heard and then you realize it is something you know, but it's just being referred to by a different name. Oh, I'm sure that's happened to me. Of course, now I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But yeah, no doubt. Why? What did, what did you hear of this week? Oh, well, it was um, it was actually back when I was in Southern California. So I, I'm wondering if it's a Southern California thing. Mm. Opponents opened a two club strong. And then they had a discussion afterwards about whether they had agreed to play Break Your Heart being on or off. And I think what they were talking about was Two Hearts Bust. That's how I know it. But they call it Break Your Heart, which is really <laughs> cute, I think. But I love so that. I hadn't heard that one before, but yeah. I don't think you and I do that. But if we decide to play that Two Heart Bust, let's call it Break Your Heart. <laughs> Definitely. But let's not do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hi, I'm Peter from Hillsboro, New Jersey, and I'm a listener and supporter of Sorry Partner. I just love the interviews. I love hearing the world's best players discuss their personal side, and I especially love the portion which they talk about the conventions that they like and dislike. I think it was Joe Grew and also uh, Mitch Dunnitz like mixed raises instead of preemptive raises, which I thought was very interesting. The uh, discussion about optional Blackwood was fascinating. So, I mean, I'm uh, very into conventions. I've been playing for a long time, but I've still learned an incredible amount from those interviews. I think you should support the show because it's just a fascinating take on the game of bridge. You hear a lot of perspectives that you don't hear anyplace else. Um, and I think it can generate a lot of enthusiasm and bring new people into the game. It's easy to support the show. You just go to the website, which is sorrypartner.com, and click on the Support the Show tab. And I hope everybody will join me in doing that. So, Jocelyn, on the theme of calling things different things, different names for different things, I present to you the the scandal, <laughs> the, the great schlamozzle scandal. <laughs> this has gotten more ire from our listeners than anything we've ever talked about. It has indeed. It has indeed. It is. It has dominated our correspondence of late. We have heard from Dan. <laughs> we have heard from Craig. We've heard from Leonard, we've heard from Howard, and we've heard from various others who are then commenting on <laughs> the comments. So, people, let me say this to you. First of all, for people out there who maybe haven't been following the saga as closely, one of the questions that we have been asking of our guests, and particularly that I have been asking of our guests more recently, is what is the biggest schlomozzle you have made at the table? And I have been using this word to mean the biggest muck-up or the biggest goof. And this is a Yiddish term. And the feedback we've been getting is that I have been using the word schlamozzle incorrectly. That <laughs> schlamozzle <laughs> is supposed to be 
an unlucky or an accident-prone person, not the accident itself. And the expression often goes, the shlemiel is the one who spills the soup. The shlemozel is the one upon whom the soup has been spilled. So Jocelyn, as you well know, I really hate when I make a really obvious mistake. And I have been quite embarrassed about this, which I have fessed up to publicly. I have said I am sorry. The word shlemozel and the word shlemozel vary by one letter. And though I will say, They are all spelled differently in many different places. And so you could argue I'm off by more than one letter. (laughs) I will give you it is one letter, that L. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. The the L, that very problematic L. Crucial L that distinguishes Shemazel from Shlamazel. Yes, yes. And yet I still felt really strange about this because I've always used that word schlamozzle to mean a muck up. And I checked with a few friends and family members and don't forget everybody, I'm in Australia, not the USA. And they use the word the same way that I do. So what I was wondering is, have we all just been making a mistake? Which is, (laughs) they sound really similar and it's in fact. Making a schlamozzle? Yeah, yeah. Out of a schlamozzle? Yeah, because it's, you know, it's, you can see it would be an easy error. And if you've heard it wrong and you la 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 la, and as much as I and mortified that I've been probably doing that my entire life. You know, it's possible. So then I get online, of course, and from the Forward newspaper, which had a long-running column about the etymology of Yiddish words, I found this. So let me just read it to you. Shemozel, shemozel, not shlomozel, in the British slang sense, of difficulty or misfortune definitely comes from the Jewish word schlomozel, which is composed of German schlum, bad, plus the Hebrew mazel, luck. Here's the kicker. As known to American Jews, a schlomozel is a hopelessly unlucky person. And this is the case also in Eastern European Yiddish. But in the Western European Yiddish once spoken in Germany and Holland, a schlamazel is mainly an unlucky event, Ta-da! which is the way that I was using it. Then it says, moreover, the Western meaning is probably the older one, since no form of German schlim exists in Eastern Yiddish, which suggests that schlamazel was borrowed from the Western use of the word. According to Eric Partridge's Dictionary of Slang and Unconventional English, the word had currency in the East End in London, especially among bookmakers, as far back as the 1880s. And so I thought, okay, vindication, because obviously as an Australian, we have the British connection heritage. So I would argue, based on this comprehensive research, that it is possibly used both ways to mean both things, and it depends quite a lot on where you are. Absolutely. And the bottom line is, it is the most fabulous word, and we (laughs) want to use it as often as possible. So we might use it in all of its various incarnations and meanings, (laughs) wherever we possibly can. So if you have any fun stories about learning the new name of a convention or about a schlamozel or a shemozel of any type, 
please do send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram, or you can send us a voice message. These links are all in the show notes and on the website at sorrypartner.com, along with some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Susanna Gross. English champion Susanna Gross has been the bridge columnist for The Spectator since 2000. She has played for England's women's team, winning the Lady Milne Trophy four times, and the mixed team, and took bronze at the European Transnational Championships. She has also won numerous domestic competitions, including the Corwin Trophy, the Easter Congress Guardian Trophy, the team's event at the London Year-End Congress, and the Hubert Phillips Bowl. We began by asking her about her most memorable bridge schlamozel, or schmozel, or what have you. Quite a few years ago, I was playing in a World Series. I can't quite remember which country I was in. Um, I was partnering David Gold, and I sat down. We were in the A, there was a pairs event, and I was, we got to the A final, and I sat down against one of my heroes, Gear Helgemo, on my left, who was extremely charming, friendly, chatty. And I think I was more nervous than I realized because I must have passed without realizing it, pushed the board through the screen. Uh, it came back to me and I saw my partner had opened one club and I looked at my hand again and I had 19 points with six clubs. And I thought, well, <laughs> I've passed. I, there's no bid in the world that I can now make that won't, will make any sense. <laughs> and I turned to Helga and I said, um, even you would not know what to bid on my hand, I can promise you. So I jumped to six clubs. Everyone thought, what? It, she's a past hand. Her partner plays, they're playing short club and she's jumped to six clubs. Anyway, we went one off. <laughs> uh, but my partner just had a, a ropey 11 count. But that was memorable because, well, I must have been more flustered than I'd realized to be sitting with him. It's terribly reassuring to our listeners to hear that the experts that we interview also have these moments that we think, you know, surely you don't ever have. So we love that. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Oh, no. I mean, bridge is a, bridge is a very emotional game. And, uh, well, I, it is for some of us. And, you know, especially after you've been playing intensely for a few days, you're, you're emotional, you're tired, your brain can play tricks on you. It, it really can happen easily. So I, I think everybody has stories of crazy bids, revokes and all those things, or getting un unreasonably upset or, or, you know, all these things that distract us. Can you think of a time when an expert, not you, has done something just... I mean, I've certainly seen... I, I don't want to name names. Oh, go on. Uh, no, I, I really <laughs> can't. You, you, you've interviewed at least two of them. No, I've seen fights break out at the table. I saw I, I, tables upturned, bidding boxes thrown at partners. <laughs> and of course, we've all seen oh, crazy stuff, yes, but it's, it's, it's more exploding tempers that we see, people walking out halfway through a hand. <laughs> Have you ever lost your cool? Oh, yes, many times. I, I, I tend not to start it. I lose my cool when I feel I'm being uh, attacked. So... I'm I'm pretty polite. 
but if 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 an opponent is uh is rude i can retaliate and and, and before i know it it's it's got quite heated you know we all lose our tempers with our with our partners but yeah that's that's something we have to guard against without naming names have you had any long standing feuds with bridge players over lost tempers no never i've had many tiffs and they don't last long at all do you think that's because it's such a small community like you have to fix it partly yeah it's very unpleasant if you don't get on with somebody it's a very unpleasant uh, especially when yeah you, you know that everyone has their little gangs and their little cliques and so on but no it's more more i think we all understand that you know it's an emotional game and, and we get emotional you're the bridge columnist for the spectator which is published around the world i understand it is. It's a magazine. It's published once a week. Yes. And so does this affect a little bit the way that you conduct yourself at the table? Imagine that you have to maintain good relationships, not that you wouldn't want to, but are you aware of wearing that hat when you're also acting as a bridge competitor? To be honest, no. I, I, I'm only aware in as much as if I sit down at the table and someone is kind enough to say, oh, oh I really enjoy your bridge column. I feel extra pressure not to do something ridiculous because, you know, you want to have a certain authority if they're reading your column. You, you really, this is not the time to, um, to, to do something crazy. But no, I, I don't feel the need to behave in any particular way. What makes a good bridge column? Ah, a good bridge column, it depends who's writing it. If you are a top-class player, a world-class player, it's enough just to point out fascinating hands. If you're not, and I'm not, then what makes a good column is, it's rather like your podcast. It's looking at the world of bridge, the funny things that happen, how crazy we all are, how addicted we all are. I try and each week write about something that's amused me or or something I've noticed, something that uh, people tend to do at the table or so I'll, I'll, always, I'll always look for anything that I find funny and write that up. And I'll, very often I'll, I'll make it quite personal. So if anything amusing has happened to me, I'll immediately write it up. I don't mind writing up my mistakes either. It's for fellow addicts. Do you take a notebook with you to the tournaments so that you can keep track of these anecdotes? No, they're in my head. I have my phone. I, I sort of, I'll type myself little notes, but I, I remember them. It's, you know... It could be something very small that just makes me laugh. And I'll write a bridge column around it. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. 
Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I, I enjoy the way that, that the columns are almost mostly that nugget and then you'll just pop the hand in at the end. Yes, it's an observation. It'll always be an observation. I mean... Bridge, for, for people like, well, like us that are addicted to bridge and devote so much of our life to bridge, I sometimes think of how accomplished I could be in so many areas if I'd done anything else. The amount of hours I've put into bridge, I could be fluent in 10 languages and you know, great <laughs> master of many instruments. Anyway, it's only bridge for me. That's all I can do. But, you know, I live in a world of fellow obsessives. We're all the same. We're a community of addicts. And we're talking to each other. I, I'm addressing my column, assuming that whoever's reading it has got the bug and understands that this is a very peculiar world we live in where people that don't play might not quite understand. In fact, people that don't play, I think, think we're extremely boring. I've got a lot of my friends don't, don't understand at all why I'm on a sunny day in a basement somewhere playing bridge. Or indeed, I've just come back from uh, Lillehammer in, in Norway for a bridge tournament. It was wonderful. I was there for three days. I did not step out of my hotel. The <laughs> tournament was, you know, the hotel was the venue. And I didn't, I played from 10 till 8. And I didn't see the point in leaving. You know, that was it. So I only saw Lillehammer from the taxi, from the train station. <laughs> and I've, I could honestly say that I've traveled the world playing bridge and I, I've never ever seen the place I've been in ever. I've never really looked at more than the hotel room and the <laughs> venue. So that's a very odd thing for someone who doesn't play to understand. And of course, one must never get a, a group of bridge players and invite someone who doesn't play because we are intolerable. It's bad <laughs> enough what we are. We can't help ourselves. It's, I've had experience. I was with, you know, Sally Brock, the world champion. We went out for dinner the other day and we were sitting in a, in a booth in a restaurant. And at the end, a very angry woman came from the booth behind us and said, it's not just that you're talking loudly, you've ruined our meal. It's that you're so boring. <laughs> because, of course, all we'd done is, all we had done for the timer, we didn't, we didn't realise he was shouting, but all we were saying is, and I had ace, ten to four clubs. I played the ace and, oh, my God, she did Peter and I did. And no, that's all we did. There was, no, there was nothing to it, except that's, that's what bridge players are like. Yeah. We're a terrible lot. <laughs> but at least we have one another. <laughs> we have one another and that's it. We're a community. We're an absolute community. Yeah. That is partly what I love about it. How does this play in your actual household? Are you surrounded by other bridge players at home? Oh, no, I'm, I'm quite rare because I'm, I'm, I'm married out. <laughs> um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very, um, I'm amazed my husband is still with me because... He doesn't play, doesn't want to play. 
I mean, we hardly ever go out together anymore because I'm out just playing bridge all the time and talking about bridge and most of my friends are bridge players and so on. But he's he's very tolerant. He he puts up with it. But in my circles, I'm one of the very few people who, are, if they're not single, who doesn't have a bridge playing husband or, or boyfriend. It's quite it's quite unusual. But anyway, it's it's fine. Of all the anecdotes that you have about funny things that have happened at bridge, is there one that really stands out as the funniest? Well. I've never quite stopped laughing, even though this happened 30 years ago or 25 years ago. A very good friend of mine called Lou uh, Hobhouse, who actually edits the English Bridge uh, Union magazine, she was every bit as addicted as, as me. And she was marrying someone else who, and we always used to play a lot of bridge. Well, he proposed and they had a, a lovely white wedding. And her idea of an ideal wedding night would be to invite myself and a friend to, to join her and her husband in their cottage. And we played bridge all night long and she never got out of her wedding dress. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that it was extraordinary. And then in the morning we had sausages. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was just great fun. Um, other funny things that have happened just endless things. I mean, you know, Bridge is just a, I, I lose track. Every day something funny happens. Sometimes things that are funny are unintentionally funny. I, I One of the things I love about Bridge is people are, are, are stripped, if you like, of, of their, of what they consider, well, what is normally considered acceptable in a polite society. I, I think as soon as people start playing Bridge, they revert to what they might, might have been like in the playground. I mean, as a friend of mine said to me, Bridge is one of the only few pastimes where it's considered acceptable to start swearing at someone five minutes after meeting them. <laughs> it is? Well, that's not quite true, but well, you know, if you go to, you remember, I, I well, you, you may not know, I, I'm basically, a, a, I've played a lot of rubber bridge, um, more than tournament bridge. And the first 10 years of my bridge life, I, I was just playing for money in uh, TGRs, which is a the big London club. And um the squabbles and the and the and the bickering and the fighting. And and these are really respectable people. But I enjoy all that. I enjoy that. It's much more fun than going to a polite dinner party and telling people what you do. You know, just to sit down at a table, grunt, hello, you know, <laughs> basically your conversation is, you know, what what do you play, strong or weak? And then you just straight into it, straight into it. I, I like that. You know, it's, it's fun. And of course, you end up great friends with these people. But um, yeah, the rough and tumble of it. Do you feel like you can get to know a person's essence just by playing bridge with them for a short while? Yes. And sadly, I, I've got to know my own essence. <laughs> uh, I'm, that's, I'm, I'm endlessly uh, disappointed. By my own, by my own character, as revealed to me when I'm playing bridge, you know my my pettiness, my quick to blame, slow to take the blame. You know all these things are highlighted for all of us. So yes, I, I I've had to face a few facts about myself, but also very much so. You get to know someone incredibly quickly when they play bridge, because it's it's hard to conceal some of your character traits 
when you're under that sort of pressure. Do you spend any effort to try to correct and evolve beyond those instincts or do you just go with it? Oh, all the time. Oh, no, every time I sit down, every time I sit down, I have to give myself a little pep talk on, you know, now remember, it's probably your mistake. (laughs) And, you know, even if it isn't, there's no point getting angry. I'm also very impatient. You know, I'm very impatient. Don't pull. I've been told I pull a lot of faces. I have to say to myself, do not pull faces. Do not pull faces. You know, all these things. I'm trying to be a better partner all the time. Just, I think my face is a bit of an open book. That's the problem. But it's, it's no good to be like that. So I'm, I'm trying all the time to be, uh, it's just karma. <laughs> I'm, I've made myself sound rather crazy. I don't, I don't want you to think I am. <laughs> I'm a perfectly nice bridge partner, but for sure I get, I get a bit too emotional and a, a little bit too impatient. I get very impatient if, if an opponent is taking too long to play as well. I, I'm not very good with that. Something starts rising in me. It's almost like a red mist and it's, it, it shouldn't. They're entitled to think for as long as they like. But there comes a point after a few minutes where I start feeling something which I shouldn't be feeling. And I, you know, I, it's, I have to deep, deep breaths to, to kind of not, I get very, you know, I get angry. Because I think, I think if you think for too long, just for too long. By the end of it, I, I find it hard to, I, I've forgotten what's going on. I don't know if you've ever had that. If someone really thinks for five minutes, it's, it's you know, I forget halfway through the hand. Oh, yeah, I think they do it on purpose. Yeah. yeah. Some people actually have a bad reputation for that. It's, a, it's slightly unfair to, to do that. I mean, of course, the final of the Bermuda Bowl, you might need to, but I, there's times when people really indulge in a good long think and it, and it doesn't, it's not fun for anybody. Are you more or less patient when you play online? Much more patient because I find it easier. First of all, you can talk to the screen and, you know, no one, no one <laughs> sees. But it's not just that. When you're dummy, you, you can, as I do, you can get up and look out of the window and stretch your legs. It's very important to do that. I think sometimes when, when you play live, you're very stuck at the table and just... You know, you just have to sit there and, and it, can get, it can get too much. It's, it's good to, uh, to walk around the room a bit. So it's a different physical experience. Yes, it, it's a different, it is, it is. I think online you can, um, it's very important moving a bit because when that much adrenaline is, is pumping and you're not moving, it can feel uncomfortable. So how do you manage that, for example, then at an in-person tournament that will go over several days and be several sessions? Very badly. Um, I find it very hard to unwind. I almost never sleep well. Um, I, I'm very envious of people who play bridge all day and then sleep soundly at night because I, my brain doesn't switch off. It keeps regurgitating. Even when I'm trying to sleep, there's hands are aware, and I'm, I'm aware of sleeping very lightly. And, and I suspect that if I got up half an hour earlier and went for a swim or went for a jog in the evening, I'd, I'd probably be a lot better off. But after a long day's bridge, we all tend to just, you know, flop, discuss the hands, have a drink. So, yeah, I, I, I normally come home from these events absolutely exhausted. I haven't slept. I can survive. I, I can play well without sleeping. Um, I'm used to it, but it, it takes its toll. Do you ever dream that you're playing bridge? Oh, I 
often dream that I'm playing bridge. It's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> and my dreams are very, very boring as well. I mean, very specific, <laughs> very specific. You know, I'm literally looking at a club suit. But then, as always with dreams, it morphs into some nightmare where you're halfway through the hand and you can't remember what trumps are. And suddenly it's an important tournament. Yeah, I dream about bridge all the time. <laughs> Which tournament is your favorite to play? I think I enjoy going abroad most of all. So it would be, oh, the World Series or, or, or the uh, Open European Championships. They're always just the, the best. There are other tournaments I really, as I say, this, this pair's event in Lillehammer. I went for the first time recently. I'll definitely go to that again. It's fantastic. What is it that you particularly enjoyed about it? I like meeting players from other countries and people that you only see at these tournaments. So I've got, you know, I've got a few friends who I only ever see twice a year, but it's, it's lovely to see them. For instance, in Lillehammer, I, I, Christina Lund Madsen, who you, I think you've just done a recent podcast with, we, we, we had a blast, but I only, I love her. I only, I only ever see her twice a year. So it's a great social scene, actually. It's great fun. What's the most fascinating or unusual or interesting place that you've played bridge? It would be with friends. It would be one of those holidays where you can't stop playing on a Swedish island. We thought we really ought to stop playing bridge and get out of the house. So we, we took a boat, but we just ended up playing bridge on the boat or a little <laughs> wooden boat and long train journeys. And it's that sort of thing at the airport, sitting on the floor. So long as there are four of you, you can play bridge anywhere, and you do. Does any particular incident come to mind? No, no, only that people around us get extremely... If you're somewhere public, again, it's that thing of boring people. So in a train carriage, if you start playing bridge, you, so you clear the carriage because you're, being, you're talking bridge and you're being utterly boring. That's what happened to us the other day. We were, four of us were playing bridge in a carriage. We looked up and everyone around us had moved seats. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't kibitzing? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Who's the most interesting person you've ever encountered in Bridge? Oh, God, there are so many. There are so many. This is why we love Bridge. Um, I mean, I'm friends with Zia Mahmood, who's... I've known him for so long and he's incapable of being boring. He's just so fun and flamboyant. Who else? I mean, fascinated by Geir Helgemo. I, we, I was lucky enough to get to know him a little bit. And it's, it's, what, what fascinates me is, is world-class bridge players and their brains. You know, when, when you spend your whole life absorbed in something and, and trying to be as good as you can be, and there are this, this, this class of people who who are geniuses and, and take it to another level. That's, they don't even have to be interesting outside of bridge to be fascinating to me because, you know, when someone who's a genius is, is already a fascinating person, they're, normally they're highly intelligent as well, these world-class players. I mean, I don't want to particularly name one or the other. I think they're all as fascinating as each other. I used to know Bob Hammond, he used to come and play rubber bridge. And so I, we had quite a few drinks and I, I found him completely fascinating. I, I wanted to know how his mind worked because he could remember hands from 20 years ago and, and not even from particularly important tournaments. 
he would just remember what he was holding. And I thought, well, just I, I, I was really fascinated by this. He was giving me one funny or interesting hand after another. And I suddenly thought, well, does this memory, this remarkable memory of his, does that spill over into his everyday life? So I said to him, um, Bob, do you mind if I do a little experiment with you? I'm going to ask you a few non-bridge questions. What year did you get married? Uh, struggling to remember that one. Uh, couldn't quite, you know, uh, you know, your daughter's birthday. Give me a moment. Give me a moment. And then, okay, what were you holding three years ago? Uh, oh, yeah, Ace King 894. You know. And it, it was remarkable because his, the vividness of his memory for cards didn't translate at all in any other area. So these guys who get to the very top, and at the time he was world number one, there's something special going on which is absolutely you know, just so absorbed by the bridge to the probably exclusion of, of a lot else. And that's where we'll sign off today. Join us next week for part two of the interview where Susanna talks about her dream team and shares her favorite convention and top tip. Many thanks to our guest, Susanna Gross. Thank you also to our listener supporters who make the show possible and to friend of the show, Larry Cohen. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Paul Chirasso. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. These links and a link to our merch store are under the episode description in your app, on the website at sorrypartner.com, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice, or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember to tune in next week to hear the second part of our interview with Susanna Gross and to hear Susanna's top tip. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.